Well, that's one thing you'll you'll learn is that um, the rank doesn't make you an officer; it's who you are. That's yeah, I got that. Sweet. That's gonna be our. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Lost LT podcast. Pending name change, um, joined by Captain Captain Fred. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. How are you tonight? I'm doing good. Um, let me just start over. How feel you, sir? Um, a little tired, not afraid. How feel you? Yeah. So, um, we've been spending some catch up with uh, Nelson and then myself, and um, part of what jump started the the need to do this again or pick this up and be more consistent was, uh, you know, I'm going to be a company commander very soon within the next month. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you, sir. And um. You know, I, I owe a lot of that to uh, to individuals like yourself and some of the other um, individuals and, and commanders and captains that I spoke to. And one of the things I, I realized um, the most and what I really what really finally pushed me into being more consistent, yes, moving to audio is supposed to do that, as we kind of talked about when we last spoke back in, what, December, mm-hmm. was that a um, this, this, like, adage that I once heard um, that... that made me want to leave the Air Force and pursue something different. And that was um, one of my uncles who works for the DEA. He had said, um, you know, there's this old saying where, you know, janitors hang out with other janitors and doctors hang out with other doctors. And he wasn't trying to, like, knock any particular profession. There's nothing wrong with being a janitor. But if you are trying to change your life, you got to look at who you're around and basically step up to where you want to be and surround yourself with those people. And so I have a screenshot of, um, I think it was you and a few others that, um, uh, just for privacy purposes, won't relay them, but it just said, Hey, good luck. Good luck. Good luck. Um, and they're all captains uh, with the exception of Nelson, but he's sitting in a captain spot and it dawned on me that, you know, for better, or for worse, if I get, or I don't, this is exactly where I want to be, where I want to be with peers, with people that are, you know, above me, but they're trying to help me ascend to that level and constantly pushing the bar forward. So. Um, I like you, how you said that pushing the bar forward. I guess that did that make sense? Yeah, I guess that made sense. Raising it the does. bar, pushing it forward. Um, so I've, I've, I have a lot to, to thank you, um, you for that. Um, it was awesome. It's really, whether I got it or not was, I was already pretty, pretty honored. And then, um, you know, as I, you know, I had that discussion, <laughs> I guess I made the, uh, the sinful mistake of saying, Hey sir, can you throw me some curveballs uh, for the interview? <laughs> because what had happened was I had asked my, one of my former commanders to ask me some questions and he asked me, you know, the difference between an officer and NCO. And I know that, but when he asked me point blank like that, I just froze. So I was like, okay, I need to be frozen again. And my God, sir, you had a field day. So. Oh yeah, that was wonderful. Um, But actually, so one thing I've done a lot and I've tried to do a lot is uh, help people get past the interview jitters. And I've done this with uh, some members in the Air Force some tech sergeants and staff sergeants and um, some NCOs, some E4s, because that's what they're looking for is a vicarious experience, if you will. And that's one thing I love about being a commander and being a captain is that, you know, I've been around long enough to where I can actually impart some of that experience and you know, help identify the things that I would look for when it comes to leadership. And, you know, everyone's got those qualities, but not everyone can make them shine. Yeah. And I think, uh, there, there was one scenario and it's, it's ironic because I, I met, met up with my, not my current commander, but my former commander. We talked about, you know, 
the B, the the BC giving him feedback on me, or they were talking about why why Damon made it versus the others. And I right. guess one of the the final pushes was the scenario of say this guy gets a DUI and this guy pops positive for for weed. Mm-hmm. And like you literally gave me that exact scenario on top of a bunch of other weird stuff. But because I already had that kind of going in that, that part of my brain was ready. Um, I was able to give a really solid answer and I guess he right. was really impressed with that. So that definitely helped me. Um, cause he, right. every, every board president's going to have their, their various, you know, what are they looking for? But he wants to know how I think. And I think that was a telltale sign of how I did. So it's just crazy right. to have that full circle, um, coming from you so you know you give me these these scenarios um and i kind of wanted to like maybe walk through one of them um, of course and and just kind of explain the mentality behind it and um kind of just explain why you asked it you know was this something that was rooted with your experience and what you did and then you know we'll see where that goes see if that takes the duration of the episode but um i feel like stuff like that is is going to be invaluable to people that do listen to this at some point and want to know like, Hey, how do I prepare myself? What kind of weird mental gymnastics can I do before? Right. So, uh, yeah, when you're on the spot and you have to be that commander and you have to make that decision and you have to direct 10, 15 people communicate higher and lower, get control of your environment, get control of your people. But for me, I want to take a step back. Imagine the day you get pinned that butter bar, that second Lieutenant rank gets put on your chest. The thing you're thinking that day is great. I've made it, I'm an officer now. I can now go out and shine. And slowly you realize how much you don't know. Slowly you realize that, hey, I'm not as prepared for this as I thought I was. Everything I went through doesn't really feel relevant. Even going uh, through OCS and then going to bulk like quartermaster or infantry, that doesn't prepare you for the scenario of like a soldier who's having a bad day. It doesn't prepare you to empathize with an individual who's late because, you know, his wife stole his car, you know, or dealing with the real life problems that are fed into the unit. Right. You don't have that in your head the moment that rank hits your chest. Give it five years or so, get that captain's rank on or yourself when you become a commander. Suddenly that reality of everything that someone else had to deal with, it was their problem you just heard about, you now own it. That is yours. Like that, that butter bar rank is way in your rearview mirror, you know, so yeah, you are the lost LT, but then the moment you become a commander, whether or not you've pinned captain, you now are responsible for the health and wellness of upwards of 60 to 70 people, even more so depending on the company. You know, So you think about it like you're not prepared for these really unusual scenarios that become more and more complicated because people have lives. You know, They have an entire reality outside the uniform, and they live that 28 days of the month. I didn't really have a good understanding of what that meant until I actually became a commander. You know, before then I worked as an XO, then I went to staff duty for a couple of years. I, I lost that mentality a little bit. I worked with a small crew. And then next thing you know, I'm in charge of 75 people and they all have individual problems. And now there's an old uh, adage I heard, uh, 90% of your time is going to go to 10% of your soldiers. Oh, I and, just heard that yeah. this morning, actually. Yeah. Huh. yeah. And you won't really understand what that means because so... There's knowing and understanding, right? You know you're going to have to do these things. But understanding, like, what really has to happen until you're in that scenario, until you're in that situation, you don't really feel it. So a good curveball, a good example I gave you is, like, it's 9 o'clock at night. You had a call from your first sergeant. Your stellar E5 
the NCO you relied on for the last three months for doing trading, doing a great job. You just found out he's been in a car wreck. He's been drunk driving. There's a half a bottle of whiskey pouring out in his car. This car is wrecked. There's injuries on scene. The guy's going to get arrested for DUI. And the whole reason being is that his wife is leaving him for a woman and she's taking the kids and she refuses to give him custody or visitation rights. And that sends him off the deep end. What do you do? Right. Yeah. And here's the thing. That's a very fictitious scenario, but all the elements of that are in fact real. They get fed into drill. It could be your soldier just got fired from his job that Friday before, and he doesn't know where he's going to pay, how he's going to pay his rent on that Monday. All he has is drill. And you're like, Hey man, why don't you go ahead and get in line? We're doing ASU inspections. You expect them to soldier up while dealing with life trauma. And then you have to manage that trauma for them because sometimes it's overwhelming while also having your commander breathing down your neck and then having to call, you know, come up with a solution that's going to make sure everyone goes home safe because your job is writing desks and keeping people alive. You know, or if you get a call like, hey, it's Wednesday, you're at lunch, you're on your civilian job. One of your soldiers just had a suicide attempt. What do you do? Do you tell your boss you have to leave? Do you make phone calls? How do you balance your own personal work life on the M-Day side while also having to maintain that commander role? You know, that's what's going to happen. Like, it's a full-time job on top of a full-time job. You know, and that's just one example of a scenario. And so that curveball, the things I throw at you is like, how do you take all those elements, pull them together, and come up with a single-serving plan? And it's all about delegation. It's all about proper communication. It's about, you know, rehearsing it in your mind. And like you were saying, I gave you a weird curveball. You did the mental gymnastics. You came out of it and kind of like, I don't know if I had the right answer, but I'm pretty confident in what I said. And then you go into the interview. They asked you a question that's much easier, right? Because I gave you the hard ball, you know, the curveball. They give you an easy toss, a slow ball. You knock it out of the park. You know, it's because you've learned to recognize, you know, how you know, what you don't know, but also how to deal with the current situation the best way possible. I think it, uh, it never gets any easier. Well, I think what, so the first thing you offered too was speaking to delegation is okay. Something happens like um, alcohol related or heaven forbid sharp related. There's experts, you know, um, all you gotta do is just connect the soldier to that expert. And um, so off the bat, you know, I already knew I had that. So as he was asking the question, I was like, okay, at the very least, I know I'm not going to freeze if I give the crappiest answer ever, it's going to be closer to correct because it's going to say, I'm not the expert. I'm going to find the one that is, and then I'm going right. to go make my, my judgment. And, um, you know, you can see he wasn't, um, I want to say like his eyes were like super perked up, like, yeah, good job kid. But, uh, right. you know, he, that well, helps. Yeah. I mean, you recognize what you don't know. So that's the one thing you have to learn as a commander, which is the hard part is that you're not going to be qualified to deal with every situation. You're only qualified for damage control and triage. And then you have to get people in need to those who can help them. You know, that's what it comes down to. Like sometimes the civilian authority, the police, the paramedics, the hospitals, you know, even, um, you know, psychologist or a loony bin. I mean, that's not the right term, but, you know, they are more qualified. They have the experts. They have the trained individuals. You know, it's one of those things that will test your mettle as a commander, whether or not you let someone else do it and you just like, yeah, I monitored, or you're the one telling everyone how you need to arrange the pieces to take care of someone. You know, there's different levels, but if you can come up with the right answer, like, I know I need to do these things. I know I need to call these people. You know, you come up with a good plan, a solid plan really quick, and then you execute. That's all you really can do as a commander. You know, you can't control everything. I think uh, one 
one of the biggest things looking at this from you know second or second lieutenant to first um it's okay to not know something as long as you know where the right answer is right because as a commander I, i think and you can correct me if i'm wrong but you just said you don't have to know everything you just have to know where the experts are because that's where you're doing your triaging you're right. delegating. Um, for me, it's like, you know, I, I guess I'm speaking for myself. Maybe you, you can vouch for me or, or, or disagree. But when I, when as a brand new second lieutenant, fresh out of, you know, OCS, captains were gods. Um, yeah. You felt so far away from them. Like they're that, like that person's not even real. Right. They're a manifestation of everything you want to achieve. And they know and everything. Then, yeah, exactly. And you're like, and then you realize, hey, wait a minute. Maybe not. You know, that rank doesn't mean everything you expect it to, right? It means what you make it. And so, you know, like I said, taking a step back, the image of yourself as a second lieutenant freshly being pinned, you kind of have that moment where you're like, one day I'll be a captain. I'll get there. And you have this quick image of where you're going to go, like the steps in that moment of pinning. Well, that's what I had, you know, because it was like I could see the potential future I had. I could see all those things coming in. And I thought myself, you know, I want to be a commander that can do the most good because I'm in the highest position of authority and I can ensure that people are taken care of because I'm in that position, you know, taking care of soldiers. That's what it comes down to. But that also means I need to know what I shouldn't do, know what's outside my range, know when to call the chaplain, when to call psych services, when to call the sharp, when to call anyone who knows the job better than me. But I need to know conceptually, like that's what they drilled into you. You need to know concepts. You need to have familiarization with these different things so that way when the moment comes, you can do those mental gymnastics, find those resources, put them together, slap a plan, make it happen. And then next thing you know, that guy's fine. You know, that girl is fine. That soldier comes back to the formation. Yeah, it's going to be awkward. It's going to be weird. But you walk shoulder to shoulder with them and you let them know that I'm disappointed in how this happened, but I'm happier that you're okay. Yeah, and then... You didn't necessarily fix the problem yourself, but you were instrumental in making that happen because of your position right. of authority, right? That's that's where right. the magic right. comes from, right? Right, because everyone takes their lead from you. And if you establish a good culture where your NCOs can trust you and your other officers look at you and like, you know, he's awkward, he's weird, he tries to be funny. But when it comes down to business, I don't know anyone else who comes up with a better idea or knows how to execute like him. You know, that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be someone who could take his job very seriously, who understood the profession of being an officer, but also did not take himself seriously and did not have a high uh, opinion of himself. I'm okay if people think that I'm just this awkward captain who tries to do and say funny things. You know, I'd rather see a smile on someone's face than see a frown, you know? Yeah, and that's that's funny because it's like... (gasps) like preposterous <laughs> outrageous but uh if you right. if you're efficient at your job and you're putting in the right places and you're utilizing your authority um to accomplish the mission and develop soldiers then i mean does it matter what your outlook is i mean you could be right. super hilarious but then when you know crap hits the fan so to speak you're you're ready so right because that's one thing too is that by having good relationships with people by showing them that you care about them like authentically caring about them that you want them to be successful and that you're willing to make compromise because one thing that i heard as an officer is that you determine when to follow the rules and when not to follow the rules you know you have to decide when they apply so long as you never violate the army values and the soldier's creed and all that you know the other jazz 
you know, you're doing the right thing, even if it's the weirdest way possible, right? No one cares how you save someone's life. They care that you save someone's life, even if it was the most uh, strangest way. Like I held a kitten to get this guy off a bridge because he wanted to hold a kitten while he was drunk and he didn't want to live anymore. I gave him hope, you know, I gave him something to believe in. I grasped at straws and one of them, you know, one of them worked. That's what people care about, right? You know, like you might be unorthodox, but you get results. Yep. So the, um, I want to like phrase this as demystifying the captain rank, but that's how I'm starting to see it. And that's, that's why, you know, I, I went for this position one because, um, it felt like a great opportunity if I, if I were to get it Two because by throwing myself out there, I'm, I'm throwing myself out of my comfort zone and speaking earlier, like, you know, trying to push the bar forward or raise the bar, however, right. however you're supposed to say it. But in so doing, I realized, uh, and I even think I joked with you. I was like, man, I don't want to be captain anymore. It sucks. Like it's, there's a yeah. lot of like non sexiness, I guess, for lack of better words right. to it. But no, it, it, once you get the rank and once you get the job as a commander, all of the notions and grandeur and, you know, the d- sense of disbelief and the greatness and, you know, the absurdity of it, all that starts to melt away. Like you have like the honeymoon phase, right? Which is like the first couple of months. And on the M day side, you know, you're only drilling two days a month. So you don't have to be a commander in person really all that much, but you have to plan, you have to prepare, you have to create training plans. You have to guide people. You have to mentor them. You have to train them to deal with you. You know, there's all that stuff you do on the back end, and it's like, it's just work and it's time and it's sacrifice. But that's why I think when you look at a captain, you can have that mysticism, that, you know, that weird mythological presence because you're not them. And then once you're in and on that side, you see why they appear that way. You see, you know, the stress in their shoulders. You see uh, the strain in their eyes. You see the long hours that they've had to put in, you know, and all the meetings and so on because that's the job. And then you realize I'm going to be doing that. And then you're like, crap, I just jumped into the water head first and I'm, I'm diving as deep as I can go. You know, and then when you come out on the other end after two or so years, I mean, if you're lucky, you know, you'll see that you did a lot. And again, to milk the metaphor, you'll see so much has happened in your wake. You know, you see all the things you leave behind and your impact on the culture of your company. You see your legacy ahead of you and then you move forward, you know, to the next job because that's what we're supposed to do. That's why officers rotate as often as they do, because it keeps the unit fresh. It keeps perspective fresh and it avoids complacency. I'm going to go on a huge nerd tangent for a second because you just said you, you're, you're preparing the future. <laughs> do it. <laughs> you're, you're preparing the future, right? Um, a good officer will do that, right? One of the yes. things I love about the Sith is that, unless I'm wildly mistaken, it would seem that any time a Sith detects somebody that has Force abilities, they want to train them. Like even Emperor Palpatine in his most evil diabolical ways was always trying to play to train his replacement. Like I just, right. I really appreciated that. And I, again, I maybe with you, sir, like uh, you're going to open more of the podcast to my nerdum. Um, I mean, <laughs> honestly, you were the responsibility for you're reasonable for this, but, uh, are the right. reason for it. But, um, so, you are correct. Like the Sith are always looking for apprentices and there's always, a, you know, there's the order of the Sith and there's like, so they realize that with the Jedi, it's all about conditioning, right? That's why they get them as children. It's easier to condition a person to follow the light, to do the right thing when they're younger, because then they can't manifest the darkness later on because they've been trained to avoid it, right. to recognize it and fight it. But 
if you get someone who's on the dark, you know, at any age, that's why they want to train Luke because he was too old, right? That's why they want to train Ray because she was too old. Like she couldn't receive the proper conditioning to keep out the darkness, right? To, you know, to believe in the pure way of the Jedi. Even Luke had that problem, right? So looking at the Sith, like it's easier to corrupt someone than it is to uncorrupt them. That's why it took Kylo Ren like three movies. Well, then bad writing and, but... Let's not go there, but anyway. <laughs> but we're not trying to corrupt people. It's just, hey, I see something in this guy, whether it's enlisted or an officer, NCO to enlisted, officer to officer, to better them. That's what the better officers right. will do. And so that's something that I've noticed. Um, fortunately, in my experience, you know, going back to, hey, when I got that barrage of texts saying, hey, good luck, hope you get it. Um, that need to foster and, and develop that growth is awesome. And that, I don't know if that's, right. if you can speak to that or if you feel the same or if I'm just kind of grasping so, straws, yes. trying to um, make a Star Wars reference here. Well, looking back, uh, when I applied for company command position, I was a captain for about six months at the time. I had been pinned, uh, in March of 2017 and in August to September, no, in August is when I applied. I did my interviews, but before I did my interviews, I did my research you know, I talked to uh, Captain Bowie, who was the current commander at the time. I asked him for references and resources. I wanted to look at his plan, see his way of thinking. And it's lucky because, you know, we he and I think very similar, except that I consider him to be one of the smartest people I've ever met. But as a personal thing, I never want to be the smartest guy in the room because if I am, that means I have – you know, there's not really anything I can learn from anyone. I'd rather be in a room full of people who are smarter than me because then I have everything to learn. I'd rather be in that environment, but then also – I take it a step further. I want to be the motivating person to bring everyone together, whether or not they're smarter than me or, or not. Right. But going back to my preparation to become a commander, you know, it was a lot of research. It's like, all right, what are the FMs? What are the TMs? You know, what's this? What's this? There's all these uh, gotcha questions they try and give. But also I'd been through a few interviews already, you know, when it came down to like trying to identify your character. And I realized it, interviews are less about what you know and more about who you are. You know, it's more about what can you give them to work with? Because like you were saying, you know, it's what you can manifest. It's what you can change, what you can condition because corrupt is the Sith and change and condition is what you get from the light side. But it's what you can nurture. It's what you can grow. You know, it's what someone shows you that you can use. And that's what comes out in the interview. I think what came out in your interview especially was that, you know, you showed that you believed in the company and you believed in yourself. But even more so, you knew that you could take the company to the next level because you'd been there so long. You'd had so much conditioning to be around everyone that you had the capacity to make change, but also asking someone, what do you see as our biggest need? What is our biggest problem that you see from the higher up? And then they told you like, yeah, you know, whether or not I get the job, I know I can make that positive change. You know, so you showcase not just your ability to work hard, but also you're willing to support anyone re regardless of whether or not you were chosen, which shows humility, shows appreciation, shows a spirit to core, camaraderie, shows loyalty. You know, those are the most important things. Whereas others, like they might come in like, yeah, things are going to change because I say so. Right. You know, good officers observe, they learn, and then they change a few things at a time. And that's what I wanted to do going in. That was my vision for the company. You know, when I, I gave them my tagline, I said, I see us using our equipment, fielding it, and getting better at our jobs. I see us, you know, practicing our basic soldier skills and developing them and becoming a, tac you know, a tactical force that is logistical in nature. 
And they said, well, how would you accomplish that? It's like, well, we can go back to basics. Like, I looked at the things that we need to accomplish, you know, that we're already good at. Because professionals, you know, like, so amateurs stop when they get it right. Professionals don't stop until they can't get it wrong, right? So I looked at that as like, well, that's the standard. We need to be able to set up a convoy in an hour, being able to mobilize, get right, you know. And I saw these things that like looked really good on paper, but when we actually went to go execute, it was a very slow and poor execution. It's like we had lost track of, you know, how much time it takes to do things. So I had to back, you know, backtrack my planning and say, all right, we need headspace. I need to make sure we have time for mistakes. But this is back when I was actually as a commander. But part of my my focus and my vision was make time to get it right, make time to get it wrong, and then learn from both. Hmm. Trying to think of, want to go back to one of these scenarios because, like you you'd said in my interview, I was able to kind of give the BC my thought process, mm-hmm. and he had said. Um, going back to that the soldier that made the um the choice to choose to drink and drive got pulled over or the one that um hit the weed right and so what i said yep. was what's worse in my my opinion is the dui because at some point the soldier chose to drink um it's probably indicative of, of bad habits um it's probably not the first time he's done that um or she and then you also got into a vehicle and needlessly risked other people's lives um, by driving drunk and intoxicated, whatever. With the right. soldier that pots positive for weed, it's possible maybe he accidentally ingested some weed brownies, maybe poppy seeds, or there, there's right. it, it may be a one-time yeah. thing, and it shouldn't be a a question of you know jeopardizing or ruining someone's entire career because of one lapse of judgment versus someone who chose to drink. Right. Um, cascading into you know that dui and so i think he right. appreciated that but um yeah i only oh I've, I've been there i so the one thing i learned you know i was taught by this by colonel that don't fall in love with the puppies and what that means is that you're gonna have soldiers who have the big giant anime eyes big old puppy eyes staring at you because they're very sympathetic and they're very sad and they have a hard time and they just keep making mistakes and they just can't help themselves right and there just comes a point where you can't use your authority to help them anymore and you, you expend all your effort and resources to help them. But if they're not willing to help themselves and follow the plan, really there's nothing more you can do. But, you know, looking at like when it comes to offenses for my position, like both of them are bad. And you're right. Like, you know, the one with the weed, like, you know what? You popped hot. Like, this isn't the worst thing you can do. This is practically commercial. You know, this is not a green state, but you can get, you know, a CBL car and all that. Like, there's all these things. But driving drunk, that's a deliberate choice. That is a deliberate, reckless action because the way it works is that alcohol will stay in your system a lot longer and you have a better chance of killing someone drunk behind the wheel than if you were stoned out of your mind. And most of the time, like, if you're doing, you know, you might have had an edible by accident. You can't always guarantee the party is going to be safe, but then also the people you're around will probably be unsafe. But drunk, you know, driving drunk, you don't need anyone around you for that. That's a deliberate action, and both of those are risk behavior. But you're right, the DUI is a higher risk behavior because that person has made it so that they're untrustworthy to take care of themselves. Whereas the guy who popped hot for you know weed is like, well, you know what, this is a bad day for you. But I might be able to argue maybe just a reduction, put you through an ASAP program, and then that can have you be retained. But they both have to go through the, pro- the same program. I had a soldier, you know, actually, we did a, a UA, and they popped hot for cocaine. And their reading was so high, it had to been within 24 hours, and a lot of it. 
you know, so what do you do in that situation when a soldier comes to you and says, oh, it was an accident? I, I have, so as a commander, I have zero obligation to believe anything anyone says at any time. I can trust and verify, but I should never take anyone's word for granted, even if they have a long-standing history of doing the right thing. Because at any moment in time, you know, anyone could do something wrong. And I have to be there, you know, with the yardstick to measure how wrong it is. And, and that's the job. That's what it means to be a commander. You hold the line. You set the standard. You know, you're the company man. And then there's some things that you can go to your NCO, look in the end. It's like, well, I sure hope someone takes care of this. It's not going to be me, but. Yeah. It's like, and you're just staring them right in the eye and just really intensely like, yep, this is a pretty bad situation. I know it needs to be taken care of. I hope someone does something so that way this can get resolved today. Like you're, you have, you're laying it on really thick, you know, because the officer should never have to get their hands dirty. They should have that, you know, that separation, that justification, that, you know, uh, plausible deniability, right? Because the NCOs, you need to empower them to do their job. So I kind of wanted to, cause now, now I'm, I'm going to be guilty of going back into rabbit holes. Um, I kind of want to go between two things. One, what does that mean? Because I, that was the first thing that threw me off, right? What's the difference between an officer and an NCO? Mm-hmm. And the other one was that mock scenario and the thought process. So the reason why I brought up the my example and what I thought through is because it's not what's the right answer because there isn't really necessarily one. It's just how do mm-hmm. you think through something? But um, let's... Uh, What's your different? How do you define the, the difference between an officer and an enlisted or an so, NCO? I start out by recognizing that we're both soldiers, that we both went through the same training and we both have the same leadership qualities. Some individuals like being NCOs, but the way I look at it, an officer is meant to have a separation from the soldier. The NCO is not. The NCO is the direct lifeline to the soldier, and the officer is what empowers the NCO to take care of these soldiers. So when I look at NCO, when they say non-commissioned officer, right, you know, so you have like E5, E6, E7, E9, you know, they're officers, but they're just without a commission, right? It's kind of like petty officer first class or master chief from Halo, right? They're in their own right, the highest ranking enlisted, which would have some equivalent uh, relevance to being an officer. But as an officer, your job is to train, you know, or create the training plan, you know, make decisions for the guidance of the company, see the big picture. You're meant to be the brain. The NCO is the body, the backbone. You know, that's what they say. The NCO is the backbone of the Army. But your job is to see the problem, make decisions, delegate responsibility to you know, make those decisions happen, and then monitor and assess to determine that the results you're looking for for your intended end state actually occurred. But you're not supposed to get your hands dirty. You're supposed to stay at least two steps away from the problem at all times. Otherwise, you lose perspective. So... I'm trying to tie it into what you're saying. Let's, would you say professionals? Um... Professionals, um, so amateurs train until get they it get right. it right. There you go. Professionals train until they can't get it wrong. So as an officer, um, the job is to, kind of as you said, to plan the training, procure the resources, and remove obstacles, right? Right. How do you how are you able to just say, okay, we did this one task pretty good. Um, now let's do it again. Now let's do it again. That's what you're saying about being separated from 
Mm-hmm. The soldiers, that's what you're saying about looking at a higher level, like, well, let's do this, but let's do this with, um, I don't know, Mop 4 gear. Um, right. Just to... So before I even get to that point, I come up with a plan. I do my duty, do my research. I make sure all the resources are there. But the one thing is when you create a plan, you can't be attached to it because I think it was Eisenhower. I forget who it said, actually, but plans are useless, but planning is everything. You know, the adaptability to the situation is what you're looking to create, not a specific end state, which is one specific outcome with one specific result. So looking at that, um, you know, you have to come up with this concept in your head of what right looks like. And you have to know that there's going to be a lot of different ways to get there. But you want to observe how they do their job. And then you want to make small changes. You know, when your plan goes out the window and it just completely backfires, the one thing that will save anything you want to do is your preparation. Are you capable of executing any mission at any time, regardless of the situation, right? You know, but if your intel is good, hey, this road this road we're supposed to be on, it's not really a road. It turns out it's actually a wash that no vehicle can you know, get by and no one did a leader's recon to verify. So we need to find an alternate route. And all we have is a paper map and a compass. Mm. Okay. How do we how do we fix this? Like, all right, well, before we came out here, I actually went and looked at a topographical map and I was able to determine what the high elevations are. So in 15 minutes, I can probably get to a high point with another two or three individuals, you know, do a leader's recon, find the best route, and then we can get out of here. But the idea is before you even went there, you should have been like, Yeah, maybe this looks like a wash, you know. Do I have any satellite imagery? Where's uh where's the CPOF? You know, where's our intel? Where, you know, because this actually happened at 400 Liggett. They're saying, hey, take this route to go to where you're going. Like, that's not a road. That's a wash. And it runs adjacent to the road because the road acts as a drainage into the wash. And we can't get vehicles and trailers through there, especially even if they had 1,000 pounds on them, like 10,000 pounds. Like, we could barely get a Humvee through here. You know, 1088 wouldn't happen. Anyway, so when it comes to just training, like, say, for example, we want to do – right, let's just pick a basic operation, something – Simple soldier related task, battle drill one alpha, very simple, easily, you know, to Google thing where essentially you have two squads. Squad A is drawing the fire of the enemy. Squad B comes in at a right angle, sweeping across the enemy. And then squad A shifts their fire ahead of their squad B. And then when squad B goes across, they have one guy checking the six while the other ones are checking, you know, their 12 o'clock Then squad A, then they follow through again. And then what ends up happening is that squad A stays online and they're just, you know, crisscrossing through, like they're just going through. And then squad B gets back online, moves up, draw fire and move again. So that way you're covering the ground. So say I observe that, say I'm looking at it and like, all right, we go through rehearsals. You know, do we do the crawl, walk and run? Like I give them a diagram, what it's supposed to look like. I give them a PowerPoint. I do a sand table. You know, we do a couple dry runs in the building and then we actually get to an area we, and then we set up an op four and we just go through a walkthrough, right? And the walkthrough will shake down like what's going to happen. Like, hey, guys, you're all traveling with rucksacks. What do you do if you're traveling with rucksacks and you get attacked by a stationary enemy? How do you do it? Like, how do you take him out? I mean, like, hey, you guys ever seen that movie Saving Private Ryan? You know, when Tom Hanks was telling everyone what they're going to do is that the guy coming up the left, coming up the right, coming up the middle. That's very similar to Battle Drill 1 Alpha, except that the machine gun nests with multiple machine guns. So they had to cover different areas of approach. So he figured out a plan, said, all right, person down the middle, you'll be drawing the most fire. Guys from the left and right, you need to be able to attack them the moment they 
have to change barrels because it gets too hot. And then that exchange is when they're at a disadvantage. You need to make them fire from two directions. That way both barrels get hot and they don't have the ability to cycle fast enough, right? You know, you look into the scenario. Right. So I look at how they would move. And it's like if they're moving at a snail's pace, I'm like, this is bullshit. You need to go ahead, move faster. Like you need to attack the enemy, make them draw fire towards you. You know, and or well, what's the signal? Oh, I forgot that. All right, guys, let's run it again. I might write it five or six times, giving five to 10 minutes for them to accomplish the task. You know, that's what I think a good standard is. But what if I'm unrealistic with my expectations? What if it turns out that it actually takes them 20 minutes to clear the objective because the terrain was different each time? Okay, we need to train in different environments, daytime, nighttime, NVGs. But we don't go to the highest, most complex version of events immediately. I need to see if I tell you, guys, I need one squad to attack and draw fire. I need another squad to come up from the side and take them out. Not from behind, not at an angle, but at, you know, at 90 degrees, you know, to the distracting element. Can you do that? Okay, demonstrate. Great. All right, let's do it again. But this time, let's switch squads around, you know, and then you evaluate and you're fine. And then even with convoy operations, like, hey, you're hitting displaced individuals. You know, there's, you know, a scenario here where there's op four and there's civilians on the road. What do you do? And then one guy's like, well, I'm going to get out and just walk in front of my truck to clear civilians. Like, why would you get out of the truck? But all right, let's play it out. Let's see where it goes. You know, but in the preparation, like, all right, here we have basic SOPs. Do not attack unless attacked. You know, we have basic uh, escalation of force, you know, don't engage with anyone, you know, rules of the use of force. I, I establish all of that and I see how well they, they respond, how well they communicate. And if I like what I see, I'm like, all right, let's do it again. If I don't like what I see, I'm like, all right, guys, tell me what you saw. And then they tell me what they can and can't do in the AR. So it's always a constant process of refinement, you know, because again, you know, we're never going to have it perfect the first time, but professionals do it till they can't get it wrong, meaning that you do it until it's second nature. Like even Bruce Lee said, practice it till you forget it. You know, if you have to think about it, even in sports, they say if you have to think about what you're doing in the middle of the process, you're going to lose. Like, do you think a tennis player is verbally in their mind thinking, all right, I'm going to run over here and with my backhand at a 15 degree angle with about 15 pounds of force, I'm going to lob it back at about four and a half feet off. Look, They don't think that because it's all instinctual at that point. They've they put they in so many it. hours, they don't think about it. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's so going back to instinct, I think maybe you kind of helped me realize something. So there's this, the saying, and I, I'm just as guilty as constantly saying it too. It's like, you can have the most best well laid out plans, but the second, um, you leave the wire or the second, uh, USP or the second, um, heaven forbid bullet flies over your head. So the second you, you start to execute, it, it tends to go out the window. Stuff changes. Right. right? And I'd always yeah. ask like, well, what's the point? Um, and obviously, yes, you want to have a plan. You want to have something to, to you want structure. But I think you said it where it's like, even though, what'd you say? It's like, it's plans are, are gar- what'd you say? Uh, so plans are useless, but planning is everything. There we go. So that, that's where it finally, it finally clicked. Um, because you have that, the ability to exercise, uh, I guess the planning muscle and going back to right. your analogy with the tennis player. Yeah, you're right. They're not saying I'm going to rotate my wrist this way. I'm going to put this much weight on my you know, left foot and I'm going to pivot that yeah. way. And you know, all this other crap. Um, it's just instinctual. So to be able right. to, you know, like you were saying, walk these soldiers through this exercise, like, okay, you're going to get out of the truck and you're going to just, just walk in front of some civilians. Like what if they, you know, wonder what I'm packing? What if there's an IED right there? Like what do you, what do you do? And you keep flexing that decision-making right. process. So, right. 
Because that's what I always look at in my training scenarios is who's going to make decisions and stick to them. Because you have to deal with the reality that your decisions have consequences. And most anyone in any training situation where it's like getting intense, they're afraid to make decisions. They don't know what to do. And I see people who freeze up. like, And that's the one thing that you train them conditionally to overcome is that, oh, someone's firing at me. I need to get down, get cover, get observation, get eyes on, and then return fire, get fire superiority, you know, and then take the objective, make sure I've got perimeter security, call it up, right? You know, there's all these different things you want to do. But again, in this situation, you have to delegate. Each person has a responsibility. Your aid and litter, your RTO, you know, the person who's leading the squad, they should be able to know just by through their training how to deal with the situation. Like, I don't know if I gave you this example before, but uh, so, for example, if I have uh, a truck driver and I'm riding shotgun and I'm in command of the vehicle and command of the convoy, prior to even leaving the wire, I'm going to say, all right, guys, if I say get off the road, there's going to be a couple words that come after that, you know, preparatory command, command of execution. I'm going to say get off the road in a herringbone formation, get off the road 10 meters parallel, get off the road give me a 45 degree out stagger. Like there's going to be something in there. And if they have no idea what that is, because, you know, sometimes you have to go off script, but if they have never read the script and they have no idea what's supposed to be happening, they'll be lost in the sauce. Yeah. And what does and stagger what mean to, to you versus what does it mean to me? And how, how does that even right. does not compute? Right. Cause like, you look at it like, oh, get it off the road. And the guy just pulls off the road, tires still touching the asphalt. And you're just looking like, I need you to get off the road. Like, well, I am off the road. Like, then you have to verbally explain to them what it really means for you to get off the road in such a manner to where you have a defensible position where your truck gunner actually can get observation, right? Because, hey, maybe I saw something down the road and we should be at a 45-degree angle because maybe there's a truck coming at us that I don't want to be near, and being at a 45 allows us to pull out, you know, get as far away as possible. But being per- perpendicular to the road doesn't make it any easier because – you know, our trucks are facing away from the thing that will get us out of here faster. Like, you know, but they have to have a better understanding of what your end state is, what you're telling them to actually do. Because if you sit there and say, all right, pull off the road. All right, we're off the road. Like, okay, well, this is not helping anyone, you know, but like, well, no, you tell me what to do. Cause like they will literally do the least (laughs) amount of work unless they know what right looks like, you know, but if you tell them get off the road, 45 degree toward 12 o'clock, stagger out make sure we've got at least 10 meters off the road but if i have to say all of that that's losing so much time you know i should be able to have one vehicle orient itself the proper way and then everyone else understands what we need to do and i just be able to get on the radio go stagger 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 you know 45 stagger you know or i call out a name i call it like you know the golden chevron golden chevron like i come up with something that way they understand and a quick reference but if they don't know what that means they're like i don't we never went over this. Right. Yeah. You know, but that's why, you know, if, but everyone has a plan into the punch in the face, you know? So that's, if you're going out there, your vehicle gets, yeah. Sorry. I, right? I meant to, I was trying to like, there's one that's just like, it's perfect, but uh, sorry. That, I was like, I had to, I love that saying so much. Right. You know, I've seen this firsthand too, when we're doing combatives level one training, uh, one of my buddies goes in and he's like, he's never wrestled, ever boxed anything. He's going against the the attacker, right? The guy's got boxing gloves on. The guy's a trained MMA fighter, right? And so he gets in there, and the guy's got his gloves up. And my buddy walks in, and his hands are at his sides. He gets punched in the face, like, oh, that didn't work. Gets punched again, like, I need to rethink my plan. <laughs> you know, it's like, get your get your hands in front of you, you know? 
And it's like, I go out there, I have my hands up and he's like, he's punching me and he's hitting me pretty hard. But like, I have my hands up to where like, he's hitting my, my forearms. Right. So it's like, all right, I don't really know what I'm doing here, but I know I need to get close to him. So I'm just going to do it the most awkward way possible. So eventually I box him in, I can actually get the clinch. But anyway, you know, but it comes down to like, do you know what you're supposed to be doing? Like, do you know what right looks like? You know, and that's where the planning comes in. Like, all right, because you have to think three months, six months, 12 months, you know, two years out and what you want them to accomplish. And like, if you say, I want every person in this company to be licensed on every vehicle and capable of defending their position as either the truck, you know, TC or as the driver or as the gunner. That's a totally realistic thing. And it really has nothing to do with their MOSs or their actual jobs, but it is everything to do with being a soldier because unless they can be a soldier, they can't do their jobs. Hmm. There's like, five or six things I wanted to just dive into like SOPs and yeah. uh, Belgium Alpha and uh, Army Warrior, Warrior tasks and so forth but um, we are getting close to the 50 hour hour mark and I'm, I'm wondering I'm realizing we never really caught up with what you've been doing so I, I kind of want to push pause on the, the examples um, Yep. And, and again this is why and hopefully this is the last time I say this I don't want to sound like a broken record um we, this is our third consecutive episode. Uh, pumping these out once a week is going to be easier now and doable, especially yep. since Thursday is like our recording day. So that being yep. said, um, you know, when I say push pause, I mean, okay, we'll resume either next week or the following, depending on how we want to go. So uh, not eight months from now. But speaking of eight months, so when we last spoke, um, you know, without giving any like, um, you know, OPSEC violations or, or what have you, um mm-hmm. Just real quick, let us know what you've been up to. So, so since December, yeah, I've been working on the border mission for Arizona. And during March, I was on annual training as part of the breakdown for my company. So the way the Army works is that sometimes companies will come into existence because they serve a purpose. Then over time, that purpose will no longer exist. And so the company no longer needs to exist. So it's a reorganization. So my equipment, my personnel, everything I've got will eventually dissolve and go to other places. But during March is when COVID-19 for this year started spiking. So what ended up happening is because I was annual training, I was one of the first units called an activation by the governor. With that, most of what we did was because of the panic shopping, a lot of businesses were struggling to restock. So we did some assistance with that. Then we transitioned to assisting food banks because a lot of the volunteers were staying home because they were under quarantine. We, being the military, were able to go in and actually backfill all those positions. And because we were working in such high numbers and high efficiency, we caught up to the demand, but also improved the ability to deliver goods and services uh, to the people of Arizona. And it's incredible because they even have stockpiles of you know, food. So in case there's another drop in volunteers, they can ensure that people are still getting the food that they need, you know, during this time. And, you know, we're also looking at helping with testing sites, you know, ensuring that individuals, you know, can show up get tested for COVID and then never leave their vehicles. So most of it's just working traffic and and whatnot, which is actually something soldiers are very familiar with because when you're dealing with motor pools or dealing with, um, you know, traffic stops and we're, we're trained to do that, you know, it's just a conversion of our skill set. That's what I've been doing since then uh, for the last 
six, seven months. And now I'm looking at the sunset of my company, you know, because we're going to go into the new fiscal year and we're still supporting uh, the American people and the people of Arizona uh, by helping with food banks and so on. So that that is something we're doing. And we were activated to full time service, you know, and we're curious to see where this is going to go. I mean, Arizona right now is one of the hot spots, uh, just looking at, you know, the statistics. But there are there is hope that with a few, you know, modifications and with additional safety protocols, life can get back to normal, but we're still being affected. There still is a need for individuals to you know, support food banks, you know, to support testing sites, to ensure that, you know, services can continue. So that's kind of like the big cap. And most of what I've been doing is just day-to-day operations, long-term planning, but also managing a force of volunteers. And so that that's one of the coolest things that, you know, looking, if you listen to Nelson and mine's first episode and you realize, uh, not by design, but the, the amount of time that has passed, every single one of us has advanced in certain ways or shown growth in certain ways, which is really good. It means we're not stagnant. It means we're, you know, right. there, there's stuff I learned on the border mission that I never thought I would learn, um, or ever would have cared to because of the personnel aspect. But my God, does it help me see things differently? And that is another reason why it's probably a good thing that I was able to get the position that I did. Um, in your case, you know, you were operating in a more active duty like capacity. Is that, is that fair to say? It is. So it's very interesting when the national guard is activated for pandemics or emergencies. So if you think back to hurricane Harvey or Texas or other places where natural disasters are, you know, a little more impactful, like flooding and tornadoes and so on, their national guard does get activated to help evacuate people. Like you might have infantry MPs or whoever, but their job at that point is humanitarian and that's DESCA. That's just, uh, uh, defense support of civil authorities. So when the governor says, I need help, I'm activating the guard, we do what needs to be done. Whether it's building sandbag, you know, castles or trucking people in and out or getting on boats and pulling people off of roofs. But most of those situations are maybe 30 days. You know, and then you might rotate units. Like even a couple of years ago, a unit from Arizona was activated to go help during Hurricane Harvey. You know, they drove out there, they helped for a few days and then it got to a point where they you know, things were getting better and they were able to come back, but that's our job. In this situation, it's been more long-term. It's definitely been more active duty based because it's, you know, it's seven days a week, you know, and it's uh, whatever schedule we need to work on, whether it be mornings, evenings, or nights. So we have plenty of shifts, plenty of NCOs, and we've created platoons in order to maintain that, you know, that army organization. But also, you know, I'm looking at, you know, what's the next 60 days going to look like? Because again, my role as a commander, my position will expire and I will no longer have the authority and the benefits of being in command. You know, I'll still be a captain, but I won't actually have the authority that comes with the position of commander. And then I'll just go back to being a staff officer, which has very limited authority. Yeah. And that's, so again, another, another rat hole is like, okay, what's a staff officer? What is, um, right. you know, I even think right now, what's a line company? Um, and it's funny because you referred to me as the lost LT. Um, that was never really the intent to just absorb the entire um, characteristic of that, but it's very true. And so there's a lot of stuff that um, stuff I know now that I, I had no idea what it meant back then. Um, MTO, I hate to say that, but that took a while for me to finally internalize what that means. Um, so the fact that, you know, you've had the full career um, up to 
uh, command position and are looking at staff, but also got to serve on these contingency mission missions really opens yep. the doors to a lot more like in the weeds I, topics. I, I'm really appreciative of all this. Like I know that uh, the conditions for these opportunities are not the best, but like you were saying, by being in positions where you're challenged, you get growth, you right. get experience, you look outside the norm, you know, if I had never joined the border mission, I never would have been able to meet all these other officers and never would have been able to work in a staff position, you know, also being a company commander, you know, in my same building. There's all these benefits that came with it, but all these challenges, all these difficulties, all these things I had to learn. Like, I, what, what's a GFIBS? What's this? What, what are these Army systems, right? right? But also, I learned the importance of networking, the importance of communicating in person, you know, and, and the benefits of being able to travel different places. And not even that, like I talk about, you know, just the new experiences I got to have because the Army is a wonderful place to be. Like I've been able to fly on C-17s, you know, uh, freaking different forms of aircraft. I've been able to take tours in different states and different museums. Like I've got to travel a lot because of the Army. I've been to Virginia three times. You know, I've been to Fort Bragg. I've been to Iowa twice, you know, you know. C-130, C-17s, like different aircraft, like working with the Air Guard, doing joint staff operations, being able to visit different um, Air National Guard bases and actually see what they do for a living, you know, being able to see things from different sides. Those opportunities would exist if I was just a civilian or if I was just a regular MDA commander and not on any of these missions. But then also looking at like, you know, the heartache that comes with it, being able, having to work with people that you really like and then having to say goodbye to them within six months or, you know, having to constantly deal with the challenges and stresses of a unstable environment. And by unstable means like, like oh, hey, th these new directives came down. Hey, we have to do these force changes. Hey, you know, these new restrictions just came out. Like you have to constantly adapt. And when you think you're getting ahead, you end up stumbling and having to start over and you have to re reinitialize that emotional and mental energy. So that's that's what I'm looking at, like big picture is like, you know, I've gotten more experience in the last three years as an officer and as a commander than I ever would have if I had just been a regular M day or and not having the opportunities I did. Yeah. I'm not saying go full time. I'm saying the National Guard is also a very fun place. And whereas regular army is, you know, just imagine um, every day, eight hours doing the same thing uh, for five years. And then getting promoted and doing again, but this time in a leadership role. God, there's a, they're just opening up episode after episode after episode of what to focus <laughs> on. And it's, it's good. And again, thank God we found a way that we can do this weekly. So that way it's not lost. Nope. And it truly really does become what was supposed to be the lost LT podcast to begin with. Um, going back to when I was trying to figure out the training pipeline for an officer for the state mm -hmm. aspect for OCS, um, for the national guard, like there's so many ways to go for it. And it was great that we got to cover yours, which is fed, which I'm not familiar with. I've always heard about it, yep. but we were able to mm -hmm. kind of offer that unique perspective that way for me seeing, you know, this Texas guardsman, his blog on what his experience was like helped me, um, better understand what I was in store for. So if we're able right. to do that to the National Guard capacity, then I feel like we'll we'll be able to finally hit the mark with uh, what our intent is behind this, but also incorporate some nerdum like the Sith analogy. I'm thank thank God I finally got to experiment with that a little bit too in the same conversation yep. because there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of like in the not the weeds but down the rabbit hole type stuff that I really wanted right. to nerd out with you on, sir. So. Well, no, absolutely. So one thing I've learned is that there's a lot of people who join the service because they're inspired by Star Wars or Star Trek, you know, anything like you can even find somebody who says I was inspired by Galaxy Quest, you know, mm -hmm. the most absurd nerdum 
could lead you to wanting to be in a position of service, to wear the uniform, to do what's right, to live to higher values, to be part of a great organization. But then you also have to deal with the history and the moral compass and the ethics and having to, you know, just digest all the things in the past. Because if you look at like any military of the world, any military at all, no matter how noble and great it looks, there's going to be a history there that you're probably not going to enjoy at some point. But then there's everything that we do after that from lessons learned, trying to rectify and be better. Current events, notwithstanding. Well, current events is, I mean, that's going to be fun. Um, And I think looking forward, I think what we want to do for the next episode, since we kind of kind of got to catch up a little bit and explain um, part of what jump-started the, this episode or this next series or this run is going back and talking about, okay, you, when we last spoke in depth, you know, you graduated from Bullock and then you showed up, boom. Now what? So definitely want to, I uh, I kid you not. Like I was actually thinking about that just real quick is that I went from training to being in charge and I literally got there. I didn't know anyone. I barely recognized ranks. I was untrained for the job and I just thought, all right, well, what does a manager do? You identify the problems and you come up with solutions and you start learning what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And, but then you're told, Hey, by the way, you don't know anything. I'm like, thank you for reminding me. It sounds less like a criticism when you tell me three times a day, <laughs> you know, but yeah, it was just like, you just get thrown in and you have to learn to walk quickly because like everyone's trying to snipe you and everyone knows that you're just a butter bar and they don't believe anything. Even when you make a uh, first lieutenant, like, how long you been a first lieutenant, you know, and when you make captain, like that's when they treat you different, whether you've been pinned for a day or for five years, you know, whether butter bar, first lieutenant or captain, even as a major, like, you know, there's a level of prestige that comes with the rank, but it also comes from whether or not you've actually earned it. I actually, so I've been meaning to ask that. And then, um, I don't want, I don't want to get too far over, but you know, as, as a second lieutenant, you're a butter bar and I get the, I get the, you know, the, the shit talking, uh, especially when mm-hmm. you have a fresh out of college, 22 year old, know mm-hmm. nothing, know it all trying to tell these NCOs what Yeah, a 45 year old E6 who's lost more ranks than uh, this person's ever <laughs> seen this non prior service, you know, 23 year old, something who's yep. giddy out of college and, and thinks they're going to, they're going to change the world. But the, um, for me, you know, I was prior service enlisted, uh, air force to army. So I thought I was going to get a little more respect and, and I did. Um, no. plus I'm also yeah, a little no. bit older. But, um, you think you did? You think you did? Well, thanks for uh, just shattering Cap- that reality for me. <laughs> Captain Sartor said it best: is that he was an E seven. He j- becomes an officer after like seventeen years of being in the army, and he goes through OCS. He's like, "Yeah, you're you're just a shit bag. You're you're worthless." He's like, "Yeah, got it, Roger." Like he had been through everything. He'd been a recruiter. Like he'd done all those things before, and here he is like a thirty something year old officer. You know, second lieutenant, and everyone's like, oh, Lieutenant Sartor, huh? Second Lieutenant Sartor. Like, but as it is, like, that man had been to combat, been active duty, done everything under the sun for 17 years, and then decided to become an officer and then spend the next 10 years just doing everything he could. And he said he was doing it for his kids to show them that they can always achieve their dreams. That's But cool. also the amount of sacrifice the guy went through. It's like, you know, but that's the thing. During training, everyone's a nobody. Well... With that being said, so I mean that guy deserves all the respect, regardless. I don't, I don't care what right. uh, what you do, but oh, he's you a said great man. Captain is when 
as a brand new junior officer, that's when you start to get looked at differently. Right. Unless you suck, then you you probably can't change that. But that's when that's when you noticed, hey, um, right. they're taking me like seriously now. Right. And you have to earn that still, though. Like when you become a commander, like you have the benefit of experience with the people you're working with. I went in cold. And I, I want to touch on this later on about the interview process. But there's a few things I would change about it if I ever if I had a chance. I mean, that can that can wait till later. Yeah, because that's gonna be good too, and that that's one of the things I want to ask. So, like, even as these episodes are going, I'm still learning and taking, you know, that quote unquote free chicken. So, like, hey, what was what would you have done differently? Your and actually, you know, what was your first thirty days of command like? What would you have done differently? What do you not necessarily regret, but um, you know. Is there something that you could take back? So it's, again, right. just a myriad of questions that, that can come. Well, the easy answer I can give you is that I would have become friends with my first sergeant a lot faster. If yeah. I could have changed anything, I would have talked to him more, engaged with him more. I would have been as much on a first name basis with him as possible. So that is something I am taking away immediately because um, without naming people, I think you know who my first sergeant is. and. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's gonna take some time and some some investment right. to. Uh, well, eventually they come around. They always come around. Well, um, before I buy myself another hour, um, <laughs> I think what we'll do, sir, is we'll go ahead and end the segment there. All right. So thank you so much for tuning in. Like I said, to another episode of the Lost LT podcast. And I know it probably seems a little weird to transition into something completely different. Um, but that's not going to be the case. Um, it's not going to be different. Uh, we are just at the point now where we're gonna not going to be LTs very much longer. So uh, the next podcast, uh, when it does get released, um, we'll still incorporate a lot of the elements from the Lost LT podcast. We still want to have the intent of basically just learning from not just so much our mistakes, but from the mistakes of others. So that way, if you're pursuing the commission, if you want to know what life is like as a commissioned officer within the National Guard, then we'd more than happy to to go uh, through that with, with you. And um, once we get a better idea of how we're going to promote this podcast, um, we'll most likely be uh, incorporating questions from, from the listeners. So just kind of bear with us as we figure this out. Um, it's going to be a, a long, long game for us, but uh, we're, we're definitely in it. We're more involved now, and we're looking forward to future episodes, so stay tuned. Regulars and also, but trying to get current since, you know, there have been such massive gaps since episodes have been released, but this mm-hmm. will be the third one within the third week, so it's been pretty consistent up until this point.